Good morning, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community gathering together online now because of this pandemic, and yet we are still connected through our hearts and through our values, through our mission. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And so when we greet one another in the comments, if you have comments on the platform you're watching on, know that we are greeting the divine in one another. We also are trying a little experiment where we pose a question that people can answer right now during the greeting time or whether they can wait and answer it during the candle lighting time. But the question this morning is pretty easy. Do you have family and friends who are very different from you in terms of your political views? And how is that going? <laughs> that may be a longer answer than you can put into the comments, but just a word or two. So we'll know one another. I invite you to join me as we say our chalice lighting words together. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. In the world according to Mr. Rogers, important things to remember. Fred Rogers wrote, it's very dramatic when two people come together to work something out. It's easy to take a gun and annihilate your opposition. But what is really exciting to me is to see people with differing views come together and finally respect each other. This congregation wrote a mission statement for itself so that we would have guidance that we all could agree with about how to move into the future and what we wanted our path to be. We wrote it on the wall of our sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And one of the ways that we build the beloved community is by having a moment for beloved community after each time we say the mission. And today I want to talk about the fact that people are... Um, delineating stages of cultural competence. This list that you're going to see on your screen, and there'll be a link to it in the comments, comes from Michigan State University, but they're all similar. And um, the first ones are where you despise other cultures, where you feel attacked by people being different from you. But the one that I want to talk to you about is cultural blindness, which is the third stage. Now, I don't think a lot of us are really stuck in this stage, but I think a lot of us kind of long for this stage. And we might put up things on Facebook like that um, film where people are dancing behind a screen and all you can see is their skeletons dancing and then when they come out from behind the screen they're all different um, ethnicities but on the screen they're just skeletons and so aren't we just alike inside 
And I think that's a lovely thought. And I think really there is some truth to it. And we're seeing a beautiful dream of how the world could be. But when we are in that cultural blindness stage where we go, come on, we're just all alike. We're all alike. Why do we have all this silliness? We're articulating what we would like it to be, but we're not dealing with the reality of the fact that when they dance from behind the screen, the color of their skin has a huge effect on how they are treated by our culture. This is all around the world, but I'm talking about the United States right now. If you are a black, brown, native, Asian person, you are treated very differently from a person who looks European in our culture. And it is a stage of cultural competency to understand that and then to be curious about what the cultures of different ethnicities might be. And yet in the United States, we all have our own cultures, but we are all deeply, deeply American. And what that means is that from the very origins and beginning and DNA of our culture, racism has been a huge part of it. There's no escaping it. Classism has been a huge part of it. There's no escaping it. There's no pretending we don't notice. So what do we do? We inquire. And if you care to look up the stages of cultural competency, you'll see that inquiring, being curious, adding to your knowledge, and honoring one another's cultures are what we are meant to do. Our meditative reading today comes to us from one of our Unitarian forebears, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He wrote, Finish each day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. Now is the time during our service when we join one another in an attitude of meditation and prayer as much as we can in the situation in which we're watching. We breathe together. We listen to God as we understand God. We speak to God as we understand God. Or we just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. In this way, we can make ourselves a little bit more still. We can ask for clarity. We can feel ourselves held in the arms of the great love. Breathe with me. As we remain in as much of an attitude of meditation and prayer as we can, you're welcome to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope or remembering or determination. And you're also welcome to answer that question about, do you have family and friends who disagree with you deeply? And how is that going? 
I remember arguing with my father about Watergate. This happened before many of you were born. But trust me, it was a bad time. And he would tell me, President Nixon knows things that you don't know because he's the president and he had his reasons for that break-in. And really, even after Nixon resigned and flew away to California, he held a staunch belief that Nixon was not a criminal. The Vietnam War divided families. Oh my goodness, the fights that families and churches, everybody had about the Vietnam War were epic. And so this kind of division in our culture that we're having right now is not anything new, but it is still disturbing and upsetting when your family members and your friends disagree with you so deeply about what's important. And even if you agree on what's important, you disagree deeply on how to make that happen. This has been a bad time for many of us who have friends and family who are conservative because just recently we had this election and many of us were thinking well they've seen all of this stuff that the president and his administration have have been doing over the last four years and they see the racism and they see the incompetence and they see the corruption and nobody's going to vote for him this time we thought (laughs) and then 70 million people did, many of whom we're related to, even having seen all the stuff that we saw, even knowing all the stuff that we know. And so we have to deal with this relationship now with people whom we know hold extraordinarily different priorities and people who will tell us, well, the economy is the most important to me or being pro-life is most important to me so I can ignore the children in the cages and I can ignore the corruption because I want somebody who's uh, pro-life in the White House. And they seem to feel comfortable with a system that keeps things the way they are and you wonder inside yourself, is the system that they're really committed to, uh, white supremacy culture, is that really the name of the system that they're committed to? And they'll say, oh, no, no, I'm the farthest thing from that. But you just have to wonder because of the things they vote for. And it makes it very hard to feel safe, even with people who say they love you. Because they say they love you, and yet then they vote for this system that puts you in danger. And it feels like they just shrugged you off. It feels like they don't feel like you're as important to them as their issue. And and perhaps they are dismissive of the danger that you might be in if you're black or brown or native. If you're LGBTQ, they might say, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's not that bad for you. I think that's what they do. I think they convince themselves it's not that bad. But now that we know this about our neighbors and our family and some of our friends, now that we know this and we've seen and they've shown us what their priorities are, And they have proudly voted for someone that, to me, looks like a criminal. Um, They say that I am deluded.
I'm going to come back to that. But right now, I just want to ask the question, how can we maintain relationships of love with people for whom we have lost respect? How can we retain people, uh, um, relationships of trust when they have shown that they're not going to behave the way that we would have wished they would. Stieg Larsson is uh, the author of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And he says this, Friendship, my definition, is built on two things, respect and trust. Both elements have to be there. And it has to be mutual. You can have respect for someone, but if you don't have trust, the friendship will crumble. I want to talk about trust for a minute. I think that's true. You have to have respect and trust in your good relationships. Um, and I know there's a way to have trust with friends and family members who are quite different from you, who have shown you who they are and what they care about in this last political storm. Are you ready to hear it? Here's the way. You trust them to be themselves. You trust them to be themselves. If I think, can I trust you? And it means, can I trust that you will behave in the way that I hope that you will behave? Can I trust you to behave as if you have the same values as I do? And can I trust you to behave in the way that you behave in my best dreams of you? That is not going to happen. You can trust a person to be themselves. Likewise, they can trust you to be yourself. That is the level of trust that we need. We don't need that dreamy-eyed dolphins and sunsets trust because it doesn't really exist. You trust a person to be who they are. Knowing that, knowing who they are, knowing who you are, then you have to Choose your level of engagement with them. The I Ching, which is one of the scriptures that I love to explore, says not to give up on anyone. Don't give up on them as if they're going to be who they are, even though I just said that, which I think is really true. But the I Ching says don't give up on them because change is always possible. Keep the window open for the hope of change. But even though you love a person, if they're behaving incorrectly, the I Ching says, the sage says, who is the voice of the I Ching, if they're behaving incorrectly, you disengage from them until they begin behaving correctly again. Now, in Chinese culture, correct behavior at the time of Confucius and Lao Tse was full of rules about how to behave correctly. Everybody agreed on them. Everybody knew what it was. Really, to the nth degree, there were rules about how you should behave. And so it was easy to understand, you're behaving incorrectly, I'm going to disengage from you. But in our culture, we don't have as many rules about what correct behavior is. It's uh, just, you know it when you see it. So it's a bit subjective, but I think it gives us a way of thinking about the behavior of people close to us. If you're behaving incorrectly, I'm going to disengage. But I hold the hope open 
that you can begin to behave correctly again. This is not based on who you are. This is based on how you behave in the world and how you behave in relationship to me. I think what the I Ching is saying is that it's wise to keep a bridge between you and others and to be aware that they are who they are and probably will continue to be. A bridge is there because there's a gap. A bridge is there because there are two sides. A bridge is there because sometimes there's a chasm. And you see the bridge and it reminds you <laughs> that there's this gap. And the bridge is there so that you can meet sometimes and not have the gap be completely determinative of whether you will ever speak to one another again. But I think we keep the bridge by keeping in mind that we love these people. And we love them because of our shared history. We love them because they're family. We love them because they are doing their best to be the person that they can be in their best lights. Um, we don't fool ourselves, but we love them. And if they're completely toxic to us, we may have to burn the bridge. But if at all possible, we want to keep that open. You're not going to start thinking the way they do. They're not going to start thinking the way you do. How do you keep the relationship open in some way? First, you know, I preached about this a long time ago. I'm sure you remember every word. When I said that people are wired differently and the social scientists have figured out that they can even determine uh, with good odds what somebody's politics are by watching their eye movements as they look at a series of photographs. And people who are wired to be more conservative are more attuned to a threat and react um, as if difference were threat. That's the way that I've interpreted those studies. And people who are more liberal are more attuned to newness and possibility and are energized by newness and possibility and are less threat-oriented. I want to show you an image that many conservatives found disturbing. There's a drag queen on her way to work, sitting next to a woman in modesty garb from a Muslim culture. And they're sitting on the sideway, uh, subway together. And uh, conservative Twitter was saying, alarm, alarm, this is the world that liberals want. Horrors. And the liberals looked at that picture of the drag queen and the Muslim woman, the religious Muslim woman sitting next to each other on the subway, not bothering each other in any way, as if they were just two people on the subway. And the liberals said, why are you horrified? Yeah, this is the world we want. You're right. This is the world we want. And just for that picture to look like a threat to some people and to look like a dream to other people is so interesting, I think. 
Another element is the information that we get. Because during the Reagan administration, 1987, there used to be this thing called the Fairness Doctrine where all news outlets had to present both sides to a story. You had to get the pro point of view, you had to get the con point of view, you had to put it all in the story. And they did away with it, 1987. 1988, Rush Limbaugh came on the air, and right-wing media just exploded. Nobody had to give both sides of the story anymore. And so, the way it's evolved, by now, people have their complete different sources of news information. And even now, since the election, a lot of Fox News watchers have decided that Fox is not sufficiently pro-Trump. And so they have gone to Newsmax and OAN for their news. And also, since Facebook and Twitter have started putting warnings on posts that that contain misinformation, a lot of those folks have migrated over to a platform called Parler, which does not put warnings on misinformation. And so they don't feel as suffocated and constrained as they do on Facebook. So it's going to get worse and worse. I mean, the far right has its own facts and its own world, and the far left has its own facts and its own world. And the rest of us are kind of muddling around in the middle, just trying to think about whether we can trust uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Guardian, those kinds of mainstream sources. We read a few. We try, to, we try to trust the people who seem trustworthy, and we try to guard against confirmation bias, but that's hard. And so your friends and family who disagree with you politically may think that you have lost your mind, and we may think that our friends and family who watch uh, one American network have lost their mind. And we even had one uh, church member whose parent told them, um, if you vote for the Democrats, I will know that you're insane. <laughs> this is a very difficult situation. How do we navigate this? Keeping our bridge open and working. A couple things to remember. One, nobody is ever convinced to change their political views through an argument on Facebook or around the dinner table. Two, you don't have to defend your politics or your views. You just don't have to. You can say either in your out loud voice or in your inside voice, I have resigned from this debating society. There is nothing that says that you are obligated to be evangelical for your point of view with your family and friends. So how do you get to unity? We have a new president who wants unity. I'll tell you what unity looks like in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant families, which is my area of expertise. It means you ignore what happened and you say, we're going to move on. And you move on 
while ignoring what happened, which works for everybody except a person who was harmed, who are then, you know, they're just left to sit with their harm and try to be lovely in the family while feeling hurt. But if you're going to have restorative justice where you get to explore the hurt and address the harm, uh, you can't do it by yourself. And if you try to do it by yourself in a WASP family, and I imagine this is true for many other families, then you, the one who keeps bringing up the harm and says, we need to address this harm, you are the troublemaker, you are rude, and you are to be cut off. The shoulders turn away from you. And they talk to the people who aren't making trouble. In our country, I worry that we're going to be asked to let go of what happened in the past and move forward together toward unity. But I want the harm to be addressed. I think many of us do. And I think we can speak up for those who have been harmed so they don't get cast aside again and been made to feel like troublemakers just because they keep bringing it up. Ow, I'm still harmed. Ow, 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 I'm still harmed. Shush, don't make trouble. You're being divisive. That's what they often hear. We need to be on the side of the harmed. I'm going to close with a couple of rules for getting along with your family when you disagree. There really aren't any rules. But these are some things that I came up with this week while I was trying to think and wrestle with this question. One, don't give up unless you have to. Don't model for your children that it's okay to give up on a family member. Because you don't want them to give up on you later on. Give up if you have to. Nobody stands outside of a burning building and yells quitter at the people who are running out. Two, protect yourself and your beloveds as best you can. Three, find something to love about the people and respect their history and their experience and trust them to be themselves. Calibrate your level of engagement. If they're behaving incorrectly, you can still probably talk about weather and babies. Find other people for close and authentic relationships. People who will love you for who you are rather than in spite of who you are. But always hope that an authentic relationship might break out among people you thought were unavailable for that. So bridges are narrow and often dangerous. Keep that in mind. But decorate your bridge with pictures of shared memories between you and your mom or you and your brother. Pictures of shared memories. Acknowledgements of accomplishments and experiences. And moments of understanding. Remember those. And if you can, from time to time, meet on that bridge. That's love. Now is the time when we ask for your support with your generous pledges, your payments on your pledges, and your offerings. 
If you are a member or a friend or if you don't have a church and you're coming to our services, please do consider donating. If you are a member of another church that might be struggling right now and unable to provide services, instead of donating to this church, please donate to the one you're a member of. I invite you to join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.